This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. I would say what's up, but I know what's up. We're together 24-7 at this point, so <laughs> who we got today? Just get straight to it. We got Taylor with Downhole Well Solutions. What's going on, Taylor? Hey, man. Thank you all for having us. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on the show. So tell us a little bit about Downhole Well Solutions and what you guys do. So we started Downhole Well Solutions back in March of this year, and we are an oil and gas service provider of basically downhole rental tools. Okay. We've kind of got a little niche with one tool in particular that's kind of our our bread and butter so we're we're very early on but we're having really good success starting out so very cool it's going good so far yeah you're about you know six seven months into the grind so that's right. it's the fun times right that's right <laughs> so without diving too deep into it you know what kind of tools are we talking about you know what what range of downhole tools are we talking you know motors plugs drill bits what are we talking here so yeah this is on the drilling side which it's kind of similar to a motor. It goes further back behind the bit than what a motor does. A motor is basically right there at the bit. This tool is anywhere from 2,500 feet to 3,200 feet. It's just kind of a good general range back behind the bit. Mm-hmm. And and what it does is essentially it's a downhole vibratory tool or a friction reduction tool is what it does. And so just from a very high level, it, it basically frees up the drill string. So mm-hmm. People can drill faster. Interesting. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there for a second. I'm going to have a lot of questions, I'm sure, just because I don't understand how it works. So that, that'll give me some good <laughs> inquisitive questions off the, off the bat. So let's talk about you a little bit. You know, first, what, what's your background? Do you come from a drilling background? Uh, yes, I do. My my grandfather and uncle were, were in the oil field. And while I was going through college, kind of followed their path in terms of education and, and degrees and Ended up getting into the oil field through the help of my my uncle, kind of right out of college. Okay. And well, this is this is pretty cool. So your grandfather, you know, it's family business. What'd your grandfather do in, in the oil business? He did anything. He was on the services side also, but cementing, mud services, etc., for companies that have merged and transitioned into some of the majors that you you know that yeah. everybody hears of today. But yeah. Yeah, I'm sure cementing and mud, you know, just kind of looking at the evolution of the services over the generations, I'm sure that was a different a different time back then when he was working it. So I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous of y'all because you got you're like third generation oil field, and obviously Colin's uh, Colin's dad's also in the oil field too. Was your grandpa in the oil field? Mm-mm. No, I had to just find it on my own. I just stumbled upon this. <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa was a pilot in, in the insurance business. <laughs> interesting yeah but you're you're right though how times he's he passed away several years ago but was able to see me even get into it and just the things that he would ask and talk about just the evolution of how wells wells are drilled nowadays as opposed to what they he was almost like we we didn't we didn't do anything like that or this is you know it, yeah. it just uh it's like him learning all over your, even grandpa, your grandpa's first job was probably knocking the uh, woodpeckers off the the wooden derricks that, back in the day you that's know right. that's right that's right so where'd you where'd you go to school at grew up in conroe just north of houston and went to texas a&m okay and graduated from there in 2006 and and move back around the, the same same area, Montgomery County area. Okay, cool. Is that, uh, are you guys, or is the headquarters here in uh, Conroe or, or Houston area, or are you on the, the Permian? 
they're just south of that, so we're we're in the spring area, kind of you know just south of the woodlands. Yeah, that's where we that's where we build all the tools, service them, et cetera, and then we have some different stock points, like you said, West Texas, that we're able to keep some tools and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and kind of operate remotely from those yeah. small hubs. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so you got out of school, and then what was the first move after that? What got you into the oil business? What was your first position in the oil field? Yeah, so first first job out of college was with Tesco Services. They're a tubular service company. Whenever they go and drill a well, they run casing. They need crews that go out there and actually make up those connections, run the pipe down hole. They have some casing running tools that help rotate the pipe as it's going down. So I started out with them in the field and then spent about a year in the field and then moved into city sales with them here in Houston. Awesome. Yeah, I did, uh, I did a lot of work in tubulars too. So okay. yeah, so around expandable casing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm very familiar with that. So uh, how did you, how many years did you spend doing that? That was, you, you said that was, you graduated in 2006. Yeah. So. so I was with them with Tesco about two and a half years. Okay. And have you spent all the majority of your time here in Houston or did, you know, they send you out to the Permian or were you offshore or where were you doing a lot of that work at? Yeah. So, I mean, even to this day, majority of my time and context have been spent here in Houston, but kind of the last three years before we started this company, my, my role, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about was more of managing a, a sales team. And so I did get to kind of the last three years, get to spend time in the Permian and Denver, Oklahoma, wherever our work was, you know, was being where, where all the oil wells are. That's huh? right. That's right. <laughs> wherever we had tools in the ground. So what, what, what were you doing then when you're managing a sales team? Who was this for? Yeah. So after I left Tesco, it, it was pretty cool. I kept running into a family friend of mine that was the vice president of sales for a directional drilling company. And we kept running into each other at the same offices, all that. And he was asking me, do you, do you enjoy, you know, what you're doing? all that. And I said, yeah, I do, but you know, I'm always up for a new challenge and, and that sort of thing. And he started telling me about directional drilling and how, how critical it was is a lot of these wells were going to, you know, everything was going horizontal Mm -hmm. at that time, as opposed to poking, you know, holes straight in the ground. And so it sounded interesting to me. And so he, he offered me a, a position to come sell in Houston. And I spent seven years selling in Houston and was able to be a part of a you know, privately owned, but an independent company, but helped them grow from a sales standpoint to one of the largest independent directional drilling companies. And as we grow, that provided some upward mobility. And so I spent the last three years as vice president of sales at Lame. Awesome. That's what I was, was going to guess. That's who it was. Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. you do know, uh, yeah. <laughs> you do know a little bit about the. Yeah. When you, when you, when you said a big private company directional, Lame was who came came to mind for yep. me. So yeah, I mean, very well known directional company in the space. And yeah, it was an interesting time that you joined, right? Because, you know, what was it like around 2011, we like really started kind of hitting that curve for drilling horizontals, you know, from transitioning from verticals to horizontals. So I'm sure that was, you know, a fun time to be involved with that, just kind of, you know, being, a, being part of the wave. Yeah, no, I talk, I, I feel like I'm an old person now because I tell the same story all the time. But I remember, like you said, things were kind of kind of are really cranking up. And Marathon Oil bought Hillcorp's Eagleford Acreage mm-hmm. in South Texas, and I don't remember the exact number, but it was a little over a billion dollars. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was like industry, you know, news. I mean, kind of the first billion dollar type deal on land for a a shell play and. 
and now you see them flying across the, you know, yeah, that's billions, nothing now, that, right? That's right. Yeah. So it, it was, it was very cool to kind of be a part of that, that time. Yeah. Yeah. I sound old too. When I talk like just on the last episode we did, we were talking about, you know, the new rigs compared to the old rigs. You know, when I first started roughnecking, we're on Kelly rigs, just drilling 11,000 foot verticals. And that was only 10 years ago. And I sound so old when I talk about it now. That's back right. when I was your age. Yeah. yeah. yeah back when I was roughnecking. <laughs> So, I mean, the, the technology curve and adoption, it was pretty rapid in the Absolutely. drilling side. So, you know, with that said, so, you know, you meet a, you meet a friend, he brings you over to Leem, you guys grow, grow that over there. You're operating the sales operations. And then what led you to where you're at now? You know, you mentioned that you have a couple of other partners in this business. So let's talk about how Obviously, I think one of them is your brother, right? You mentioned That's that right. to me before the podcast. That's so right. I know how you met your brother, yep. but you have you have another partner too. So let's talk about how this this idea kind of came to fruition. Okay. So I have a younger brother. He's six years younger than me, but he actually graduated from UT. So we had some fun Thanksgivings for a while uh, <laughs> when they were playing each other. It's in a football family divided, huh? That's right. But he graduated from UT with a petroleum engineering degree. And ever since he graduated, he's been working for the for the operators. And we've always been really close and we're in the same, you know, obviously the same industry, except he was technically a, a customer of mine. But we'd always talked about, man, it'd be really cool if we could if we could start something one day, because I was fortunate enough to be able to meet a lot of good people around the, the Houston area, a lot of good contacts. And as you know, from, from being in it, the kind of our age or whatever it, they were, they were coming up and blossoming around that same time as I was. And so people move around, you know, to different, but you just have a tremendous amount of contacts. And with him coming from the perspective of the actual customer that you would be calling on, as a service company, we just thought, man, that'd be pretty unique. You know what I mean? Cause most people go and get trained up on the service side. And if that's, if their operations on the service side, but having somebody that looks at it from what the end user is kind of, and so we thought that would be just a, a good general idea. Right. Yeah. And so we'd gone down several different roads, ran business models on ideas. And there was always something that was like, man, if this just doesn't go, you know, exactly right, it's not worth leaving what we already had because i mean as unstable as the oil field can be sometime we were both of us were fortunate to survive if not you know have some upward mobility through the downturns while he was being an engineer and i, I was on the service side and so we we just we just felt like it would just be a really good combination you know mm -hmm. with what both of us bring to the table and so but like i said we we ran down a bunch of different ideas and there there was just always something that was like it's not worth leaving I like, what we have I, this. I like this talking point a lot because we get a lot of questions from people you know just talking about leaving their job and same thing you know they're in oil and gas they've got a nice job they're wanting to leave and i don't think a lot of people do enough analysis on the idea that they're looking to pursue is the risk worth the reward you know what is this idea capped at realistically mm -hmm. you know is it worth you taking the risk and leaving your job and a lot of times you know the answer may may be no right and so running models and not not chasing the first idea that, you know, comes to your head or that you come across, but actually doing a, a good technical analysis of, is this worth me taking the risk? I think calculated risk is what it's all about. I mean, absolutely. So, and for me, another benefit of having him, right? Because engineers are typically very analytical and, and they're looking at what could happen or how to fix it or whatever. Well, me, 
I mean, being a being a sales guy, it's just like you're going to sell yourself on making something work. And so it helped having him be like while we were bouncing some of these just early ideas that never came to fruition, you know, yeah. him looking at going, man, if I was an engineer, I wouldn't, you know, that he kind of poke holes in it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And so that was, it was really good, but I'm, I'm glad we did it because you look back on it now. And I think that wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been the right opportunity to, yeah. to risk, you know, leaving what you got for something that's unknown. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of ironic that I just gave the spill about taking calculator risk and running analysis when I I just straight up quit my job. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to figure out something. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. But I can never look at someone in the eye and tell them to do that either, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that was just my path. So I think just to kind of just to, to kind of expand upon that point, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about why do most people not want to take the leap? You know, even if they have a good idea or something and it's the, it's the quote unquote security, right? But in reality, as we, you know, talking points lately have been about kind of the health of the industry and health of shale and how does it affect everybody who's working in it? It's really the illusion of security, right? That's right. Because you can lose your job at any given time. We can hit another downturn. We can have a major workforce reduction, right? It's while there are a lot of risks that are associated with entrepreneurship, it's you're really the security levels are, are exactly the same in my opinion. Sure. And especially, you know, I wasn't in a, I mean, the, the directional market is, is very crucial and a lot of eyes are on it. Right. Because it, it, it dramatically affects the way a well is drilled, the, mm-hmm. the timeliness of it, how effective you are. So that part was stressful, but I, in thinking about leaving and going to do, do something else, I, it wasn't like I didn't enjoy my job. I mean, I had a great boss. I mean, the owner support, you know, it, it wasn't a deal where it was like, well, I don't, I don't like doing what I'm doing anyways. I mean, everything has its frustrations, but when you look at it, I mean, it, it wasn't a deal to where it's just like, you know what, this, this stinks, man. I'm, I'm going to do something else. It was figuring out if the, if you, if you could find something, if the juice was, you know, worth the squeeze type. Thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was in the same position. That's how I was, you know, great job, great boss. I remember when I quit, my boss, Chris, is like, like pretty much like, what the hell, man? He's like, can I pay you more money? And I was like, nope, it's just not a money or a happiness thing, man. I mean, I love the job. I probably had the most cush job in oil and gas. It's just like one of those things where, you know, that you're you're meant to do something else, right? And you sure. gotta pursue it. So sometimes peacocks gotta fly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you guys you guys had this, you know, obviously you ran all these models on different on different types of ideas. Now you have a proprietary tool, a new technology that you guys are using. Your other business partners, actually the guy that designed the tool. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So how did y'all get linked up with him? How did you run across him? So th- this particular tool or just this vibratory tool or friction reduction tool had a patent on it for, for years by a very large oil service company, NOV, mm-hmm. and that patent expired. And our partner now actually came to work for a subsidiary of a company that it, it leaned that, that I was with. And, and it, it was just one of those deals. I, I, I don't know all the details of why, but it just didn't end up being a good fit. And so, mm-hmm. so he left, but we always had a really good re- relationship, you know, and I kind of saw what he did behind the, the scenes and had confidence in the tool. And so we just started a dialogue and kind of the same thing that we did on those other deals is, hey, let's just run down the road until, you know, there's enough roadblocks that you say it's not, you know, it's not worth proceeding. So we just kept talking and it 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 transpired over the course of maybe 
six to eight months and kind of talking about not only we, I mean, I had confidence from previously that it, it was never a function, man, can this guy really do what, what he's saying? Because mm-hmm. I saw that it was done, but it was a matter of looking at the market, the competition that was out there and, you know, is it worth it? And not only that with three, with, you know, three total partners being aligned in terms of the, the company and the culture and the values and, and trying to make sure that everybody was on the same page from the get go about what we were trying to, to produce and give to the market, you know, not just a good working tool, but the, just the service that goes, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, we deliver tools and all that stuff, but service is what, I mean, we're not going to budge on. I mean, that's, that's that's kind of our whole, whole thought process behind it. But we partnered up with, with him and it took about four and a half, five months for him to basically develop the tool because we wanted to make sure and do things the right way. I mean, we didn't have any contractual breaches or anything like that, that we had to worry about. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we, we wanted to make sure that let's don't have something that could be good, but you didn't do due diligence and, and making sure you weren't infringing on anybody else's else's work. So we did that and, and, and took our time. But from the time that he basically, you know, took a blank sheet of paper, so to speak, in SolidWorks, and then drew this animated tool and then go out and get quotes for design and get it back. So it was about a four and a half, five month. It's pretty remarkable process. I mean, yeah. And, and uh, that, that's, that's four and a half or five months to be able to come up with, you know, scratched uh, concept. And that, that's a, uh, that's all a credit to, uh, <laughs> to him, our partner. I'm just the dumb son. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, that's just, that's remarkable. I, I mean, if, if nobody, if nobody's that. ever designed and created and manufactured something, I mean, it's not an easy process, right? No. So. And, and, you know, Hey, this tool had been around. And so it was a matter of, you're not just creating, you know, trying to create the first light bulb, so yeah. to speak. And just it, trying, trying to improve uh, on a concept that's out there. That's right. Yep. And at the same, you know, not trying to, to reinvent the wheel either it's subtle changes to but going back i mean when we started it you know our goal was to provide as good at a minimum or better tool than the competition that Mm -hmm. was out there at a price that was as good if not better than the competition but the service side was something there was no as good or a minimum i mean that's what we hit home from the the get-go is you got my brother who's an engineer. That's who you're going to be talking to. He knows what struggles you're up against, what you're going towards, and 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 we're going to be there to answer phone calls. We're going to just do all the little things that that add up to that good service that people they they want to deal with. Yeah, you know. So, so let's talk about let's talk about the concept of the technology. So it's a friction reducer or a, a vibratory reducer. So I'm not really familiar with that. Let's, let's kind of talk about a drill string here. So, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners that aren't familiar with the makeup of a BHA on a drill string. So, you know, typically you'd have your drill bit and then a directional drill string. You'd have your mud motor, an MWD tool. So your mud motor is what actually allows us to be able to steer the bit. The MWD tool is what gives us uh, logs while we're drilling so that you're able to capture information on the whole now you're saying that Yell's tool is actually further up in the string, about 2,500 feet up in the string, correct? So, you know, whatever that is, however many joints of pipe, you know, it's pretty far, yep. pretty far up the up the string. So 
What are the issues if there wasn't a friction reducer tool or a vibrating tool reducer in the string? What what would happen to the drill string? Like, what are the issues that you'd run into? So, yeah, as you said, and, you know, the history of this tool in general has been applied to conventional drilling, meaning what you said, a, a mud motor, something that you're using to, to steer. And so... I'm sure, obviously, you know about drilling, but if you're if you're drilling with that type of setup, you're either sliding, mm-hmm. which is the motor is the only thing turning that bit and allowing you to steer that bit where you want to go. And then when you go to rotation, I mean, the whole thing is turning, right? So whenever you're rotating, you're breaking that friction that is that is in the hole, right? That that pipe is not just sitting on the bottom of the wellbore, mm-hmm. so to speak. I mean, it's turning, so you're breaking that. With this tool, when you go to slide, however, that drill pipe is sitting on there. And so there's all sorts of things, technical terms that, so friction slows things down, right? Mm -hmm. So what this tool does is it tries to provide axial movement in that drill string to where it's not static. And so what it allows to happen is the bit stays engaged better, you get better tool faces. So you're, you're just stimulating this string so it's not just sitting there it's really so like think of it in terms of like an engine and a transmission into a car you know you could have a thousand horsepower at the engine but how much is actually getting transferred to the wheels and you know you've got this transmission drive system in between you want to make sure that as much power is getting transferred to that as possible right 100 kind of, kind of the same concept it, as this right you know it, just making sure just make sure that you're having power efficiency in, right. in the drill string so it's is a, it, a damn is, good analogy it, it really it really <laughs> is I, I, so that's that's what it is it provides weight down to that bit and as these horizontal wells have gotten longer and longer it was hard to get that weight transfer down to the bit so this is what that tool helps to do yeah so just in, if you're listening if you don't know you know when you're drilling like if you look at the old kelly rigs that i, I broke out on you know we're drilling vertical wells and we'd actually be turning the entire drill string to turn the bit right so you're turning it up from surface turning the, the drill string you know a mile to two miles down the hole with directional drilling, we're running mud motors down in the string, and so you're actually turning the bit via pump pressure. And so when you're downhole, you're pumping, and as you're pumping, the mud motor is actually turning that bit. So you can you can either turn the bit there, or you can still turn the string as well. And so that's what you know Taylor's explaining here is that you have you know you have your issues with sliding or just uh, vibration and friction when performing either one of those activities. So that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> How does, one, why, what, what is the reasoning for the positioning of this tool being so far up the string behind the bit? Is there, I mean, is this where we're seeing most of the contact point in the drill string and the, and the wellbore when, when we're drilling? Is that the reason for it? Or So, yeah, really, really, I mean, good question. So there's, there's several reasons, but maybe just for simplistic purposes, you know, two of them would be, one, this tool is providing some stimulation and movement to the drill string, right? And you'd mentioned that you've got your mud motor and MWD. Well, an MWD is, they're pretty crazy that they actually even work, you know, because you're pumping fluid all around them. It can be hot. I mean, just... I mean, let's be fair, they break a lot. That's right. That's right, <laughs> LCM material. So yeah. one, one of the reasons to run it farther back is the MWD tool is not susceptible to something just banging on it, like all the time, right? So that's one of the reasons. The other is... Hold on, can I interrupt you real quick? Sure. Have you ever seen that video? That's the Hitler video where he's in the room. I can't remember. You know, what's the movie? They use it for a bunch of memes, but he's like uh, in Glorious Bastards. Yeah. yeah. So Hitler's like in there with all the maps and directional, directional <laughs> hands telling them that they got to pull the bit. 
and the company man's Hitler, and he's like, that's fucking right. piss. He's like, nine, nine, that's nine. right. He's that's like, right. He's like, where's the fucking MWD hand? And comes in there, and MWD's <laughs> hand's like, did you check the pumps? And, you know, Hitler's like, he's like taking off his glasses. He's like, did you check the fucking pumps? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the best use of that meme I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, go YouTube Hitler MWD right. hand. <laughs> MWD <laughs> hands are kind of like the the brunt. They, of they the, do get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's thoughtful of you guys to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't stack something on top of their tool, you know, if they already have a hard enough time. <laughs> sure. No, yeah, ab- absolutely. Those guys, they kind of get the the brunt end of the stick. But so the other reason other than, you know, an MWD tool being back, that that is probably the one thing that we're conscious about the tool. So the whole idea is you want this tool, I'm going to use the term hitting or meaning it it's providing a good strong force of this stimulation down the the drill, drill string. So you kind of want your cake and eat it too. You want this thing to hit as hard as it can but not mess up your MWD tool. Yeah. And then the other reason on the placement is and once again, as as the as wells have gotten longer, the placement of it is where you see that weight transfer start to slack off is as you're getting further out into that lateral. So, you know, they used to drill 3,500, 5,000 foot laterals, and then it was 7,500. Now it's 10,000, yeah. and now it's three miles. and Just longer and longer. That's, that's right. So part of our placement is and this isn't something that we came up with, right? I mean, there's just some some lessons learned that other people have done Mm -hmm. over time that I was familiar with from the directional side. And then our partner was familiar with my brother was familiar with, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So ideally what, what you would try to do is try to, you're trying to place that tool to where it basically knocks out about a third of the lateral length. Mm -hmm. So that tool is kind of at the base of your curve when you land your curve and then you got your bit, that's another 3000 foot, you know, further out in front of it. And so the idea is that once it starts getting out there and you're losing some of that weight transfer, that it's kind of like bringing the assistance yeah. type type deal. And and now it's even common where people stack them or run two of them, right? So they'll they'll run one at three thousand foot and then put another one six thousand foot back. So when that second one hits the base of the curve, you've got two out there. So what what does this tool look like? Is it kind of like a cylinder actuated? tool is that like a a hydraulic actuated cylinder you know kind of like i'm kind of like imagining jars in my head is that kind of what it looks like so if you're if you're if you're familiar which you are with a mud motor i mean it looks like a piece of pipe if it's driving down the road on the on the trailer (laughs) i mean they all look like pieces of pipe (laughs) And, and, and you wouldn't know it's got a couple of pieces that are tapered for different connection points but at the crux of it it looks like a piece of pipe there's basically kind of two parts to the tool as Mm -hmm. a whole something that's similar to like a mud motor is it's got to have an engine right and so it does have a power section similar to a motor a rotor and a stator and then it's got a valve assembly that creates this pressure drop and then the other part of the tool is the shock tool and it is exactly what it sounds like think of a a shock on a car right so is this pressure drop is happening similar to if you're driving down the road and your tire goes into a pothole it's it, it goes all the way down, right? And then it slams back up. Yeah. Now, our goal was to have a shock tool that did a continuous and consistent length of travel every time, as opposed to some of the other tools that are on the, on the market. Mm. And that, that has to do with our power section. Design. Okay. Interesting. So let me see. Where do I want to go? I got a lot of questions. I got to figure out. 
which way I want to take it. Does this tool, does it require, like, do you have to have a hand out there on the rig while it's being run, or is it just kind of considered like dummy iron per se to where you throw it in the string and, and let it do its thing? That's right, yeah. Once it gets dropped off on location, there's there's nobody that needs to run it. It's it's pre-configured based on the parameters that an operator is going to be drilling in, and, and those quite simply are what type of mud weight range are they doing? You know, West Texas, it can be fairly common from like an 8.4 pound to 8.88 pound. Yeah. What's your temperature? And then what GPMs are you going to be flowing through that that drill string? And so the tool's pre-configured by the parameters that the operator plans to to use. It goes out to location. They pick it up when they're, when they're ready. And when they TD the well, it gets laid down just like a, a piece of drill pipe or anything else. Awesome. Yeah, just so anyone listening, GPMs, gallons per minute, talking about the flow rate from the pumps. So the tool itself is actually kind of designed and set up per job basis, depending on the variables of, of the drilling mud and, and flow rate and everything that they're using. Correct. Yep. Awesome. Wow. Okay. So trying to wrap my head around some of the applications like what what are the restrictions are there any restrictions once you have this tool in the hole like say that you know say that you're to run jars in a string obviously you have some restrictions on what you can and can't do if you have jars are there any restrictions when you have a friction reducer type of tool joint in the hole that you can't do something or is it kind of standard business as usual yeah no and you know in a lot of ways it's it's dumb iron in a way, like you, you said, so it's not how, however, we should, um, we should create like a hybrid term. Like it's not, right. it's not, yeah, it's it, not it, dumb, but it doesn't require a lot of <laughs> technical it's not people intensive yeah. uh, or loca- uh, yeah. on location, but you know, some restrictions are as stuff has evolved. There's a lot more flavors of everything in the oil field. And so I don't know necessarily about restrictions, but stuff that we have to be mindful of is there's not one standard connection that pipe or tubulars is made up to yeah that's what i was just about to ask you guys do you just cross over to everything or do you make it in different thread sizes how do you guys deal yeah. with that so so we do our like our standard configuration which is very standard for the industry like on a six and three quarter tools a four and a half if connection yep. and we've run several jobs to where it's a proprietary high torque makeup that somebody had designed and so we'll cross over from that four and a half if to to whatever whatever it is that they that yeah. they demand. Yeah. And and those those high torque connections get a lot more normal or it happens a lot more in, in a smaller tool size, like say a five inch mm-hmm. smaller hole tool sizes. So so I don't I don't know if that answers your question from a restriction standpoint, but Yeah. And I was kind of trying to think of like how how common is every Every drill string running in these types of tools, whether you know it's y'all's or NOVs or someone else's, are is it pretty standard operating procedure now to run this tool, or is it still kind of just dependent on the the drilling engineer? So, so I would say that that if you ask a drilling engineer, and I'm just saying this for my brother, he would say that I've been in situations before to where I was in the hole and having trouble sliding without one of these friction reduction tools and then I pick one up and I put it in the hole and I'm able to take off and do, you know, what I need to do. So I would say, I don't want to put words in every engineer's mouth because I believe there's probably some out there that they don't think maybe they don't need it or it's not necessary, but mm-hmm. by and large, just from the the market share of people drilling conventional wells, 
that do it, it it's primarily picked up, okay. especially with any sort of decent lateral length. Well, I'm, I imagine that the cost of it isn't too, you know, it's not too expensive to run a tool like that. And I mean, if you look at it compared to if you were to have to make a, a trip out of the hole for any particular reason or, you know, change drilling fluids or whatever it may be, I mean, the cost of having that tool in line in the string is probably negligible compared to operations that you'd have to do. That's right. If you didn't have it. So, I mean, it's usually typically if you can pick up tools that help you from having to make a trip, it's usually best practice to do that. But then sure. that, that comes down to, you know, we knew some wells that we we're drilling that we like to have jars in the string because we'd get sticky a lot. So, we, you sure. know, if we got stuck, it was nice to just have them down there in the hole. But don't necessarily always want to do that right so i don't know if it was kind of standard operating procedure to run these now or if there's any limitations or restrictions with putting it in there yeah a uh, great question so i would say if you're drilling a conventional well with a mud motor most people are going to run a tool similar to this just by people that we've talked to right i mean there's still people that don't but but by and large it, it's an overwhelming above 50 percent, right i mean it's probably I'd say 80 to 85% of the, the people are going to run a, a tool like this. One thing that is interesting that we're, we're finding right now, and you can't force it upon the market, but rotary steerable is a, is a big deal on land now mm -hmm. to where it didn't used to be. I mean, offshore, you know, they spend a lot more money to drill wells offshore, and that technology has made its way onto land. And so you've got all the major service companies that have these rotary steerable tools along with some independents now that are trying to gain some traction as well. And the theory, I get, or not theory, the thought has always been on a rotary steerable because that pipe, like we talked about, is rotating all the time. You're not stopping to slide like with a motor. Because that pipe's rotating, you are breaking that static friction automatically. So they didn't, the thought process right now is, hey, it's not necessary to, to run one. And what this tool does, though, is it mitigates uh, stick slip, which is still common. It's very common. You hear a lot of people that run rotary steerable, people that work for rotary steerable companies. One of the biggest things they fight is stick slip. But let's, ex let's explain what stick slip is a little bit. Do you want to give just a quick explanation of what it is? You, or You may be able to yeah, give one. Uh, uh, me. I mean, stick slipping, I would run into it when I was running expandables and completed wells already. So I never really saw it too much on the drilling side, but stick slipping was, you know, if you're pulling up on, on your, on your string and, you know, you start to pull a little bit overweight you know, you're, you're dragging as you're coming up the hole and then it would free up and then, you know, you'd stick again and then it'd free up. So I'm assuming it's the same context in drilling. Absolutely. Um, same thing, just reverse, points, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it, you're, you're going and you stick and then all of a sudden it frees up. And so it, it, it creates a lot of torque in the, in the drill string, so yeah. to speak, or in the, especially on the BHA. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, you know, think from a uh, physics, you know, that's why I love oil and gas because the physics of what's happening down hole, I like trying to imagine what's going on. And you can think if you have parts that are turning and then they're sticking, you know, they're grabbing onto the sidewall of the well bore at that point you know, it's catching. And then what, what happens? You start twisting off tools or, you know, you create leak paths or something, something happens. So, or ultimately, you know, you become stuck and that's even, even worse, you know, then you got a fishing operation. So there's so many different things that can happen down hole. And that's why I, I love it. At the same time, I hated it, sure. but <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been, been fishing, but just to, you know, see all the 
situations that can happen downhole and okay, how can we combat that? What new technologies can we come up with to yep. stick in the tool string and make sure that we never run into that? I just, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's crazy. And uh, so, but by and large, when people run rotary steerable, they, they aren't going to pick up one of these tools because the thought process is, Hey, I'm, I'm breaking that, that friction, but this tool does mitigate stick slip. And so something that we're like I said, you can't force this upon the, the market at all because that's the thought process. But as we keep going, one of our goals is to, to develop kind of a partnership with one of these rotary, rotary steerable companies to where you can get a enough runs or tools to maybe be able to show that it does help with it, right? It's not just, hey, I'll try it one. That's kind of hard to quantify how much it did or it didn't help. But it's also going to have to be a point in the industry to where it's it's accepted to evaluate it or, or try to see if it even helps and and how how much it does or even if it doesn't it, it may be neg- negligible and and they you know it, it never takes off but if you if you had enough runs to even say okay yes it does if it does how much mm-hmm. or if not okay at least we be able to quantify it one right. way or another yeah that's right so for you guys, you launched this in March. Where are you guys at with it now? Are you piloting it? Or are you actually is it commercially available to run? Where are you guys at in the in the process? Yeah, so we it it went commercial roughly three months ago, two and a half, three months wow. ago. Okay. We have just finished well, we have two tools that'll finish today. That'll be our twentieth run on the tools. So we've had twenty runs in, you know, the last two and a half months or so. It'll be done today. Well, it, they'll be TD'd on the well, and so oh, okay. we'll have completed our, our 20th, 20th run. run on the, the tool. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So That's we're awesome. uh, and, and even better is, is so far the, the results have been, have been really good. Right? good. <laughs> so we've gotten, we've gotten good feedback. and so I'm sure it's a good feeling, one, to send something down hole and have it come back. Yes. In one piece. And then yeah. two, to hear that, Hey, it actually worked too. It yeah. actually, <laughs> they're not yelling at you. They actually want you to come. They actually want you to come back. Yeah. So, so if anyone's listening, you know, we have a lot of drilling engineers that listen to the show and if they're interested in finding out more about GL's tool, can, do you guys have a website? Can they find you online? We do. So our, our, our website will basically kind of be up to speed at the end of this month. Okay. That, that wasn't for procrastination purposes. It was more to, Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves to where you're claiming that you've got something good. I mean, let's get some runs, make sure stuff doesn't need to be tweaked a little bit, yeah. reevaluated, and you don't want to be leaning too far out in front of your skis, right? That's Getting right. too far ahead of yourself. That's right. But we do. We have a domain name, and it'll be be fully functional with kind of some testimonies and pictures about who we are, what we do, where we're working. At the same time, keeping some confidentiality with our our customers that we do that we do work for we don't ever want to do anything that they don't approve us sharing yeah, or absolutely. or any you know advances that they've made even utilizing our tools so yep. we try to respect that but we do have it it's uh, downholewellsolutions.com perfect and then you're on linkedin as well too so people yes. can find you so we'll include links to the show notes so if you're a drilling engineer highly recommend reach out to my man taylor he'll get you helped out drilling some wells better i think the industry <laughs> they, they need all the help they, they can that, get right? <laughs> we, need, we need a whole lot more tailors out there hey well I, I appreciate it it's a it can be a 
a volatile business at, at times, you know, but there, man, there's so many good people. I, I know, you know, from being in it, Absolutely. there's so many good people in the, in the industry. And so it can be, it can be tough at times, but it's, it's full of good people. We're, resili- uh, we're resilient, right? That's right. It's tough, but we that's always right. get through it. So Taylor, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank really excited to see what you guys are working on. So if you want to check it out, make sure to check out their website and hit up Taylor on LinkedIn. We'll give links to that in the show notes. Jake, you got anything before we cut out of here? You know, I particularly like episodes like this. You know, I don't, I don't say a whole lot because it's more of a technical episode and I don't have the field experience that you guys have. And so it's educational for me and I really enjoy it. So I know everybody else does too. So thanks again, Taylor, for coming on. We really appreciate it. If you guys like the show, please leave us a rating and review. Same as last episode. We've got 60,000 listeners now and we have about 600 subscribers on YouTube. So if you didn't know, every single one of these episodes is also on YouTube in video format. You get to see our faces, you get to see our wonderful guests. And then we're also, you know, we took a little bit of a hiatus from, from vlogging. But by the time this goes out, we'll be back full speed vlogging our lives. People forget that we have businesses to run too. So sometimes things do get in the way. And I feel like we're constantly apologizing for that. But it's just kind of the nature of the business. So thank you guys. We love you. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Come, 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 come.